SE Land, Twig here, Twig's SE Reflections, number 26. Going to talk about three different types of questions. This is something that I've just, I don't know, I've said this so many times, you probably have heard me say this if you've ever spent any time with me in a room, but let's say that there are three different kinds of questions. Maybe there are more, but definitely within our work in these sessions that we're doing, somatic experiencing type sessions, we are helping to direct people's attention, oftentimes through the use of our questions. And in doing so, we might look for how it is that we use our questions intelligently. One very obvious question type that we use is this open-ended question where we're just saying things like, hey, how about now? What do you notice now? Or what do you become aware of as you notice just what happens now were those almost the same those were almost the same but that's because we actually say very similar words a lot of times and those are completely open questions a person could take their attention anywhere what do you notice what, what do you become aware of now those kinds of questions completely open they're not even directed in terms of feeling state or thought or emotion they're completely open-ended questions and with that they preserve the most autonomy for our clients. Our clients can and will say their own thing with that. Some of them, of course, will be trying to figure out what it is that you're asking them of. Everybody else will just kind of tell you whatever else it is that they notice. Now, within that big, broad openness, there's a lot of autonomy and a lot of goodness, and we're looking for that whenever we can get there. However, some people get lost in a big open question, and they return answers like, uh, I don't know, or mm, nothing. And when that happens, we're not helping a person express their autonomy. We're helping them fail at answering our question. And so those big open questions don't tend to help in that situation. And at that point, it becomes helpful to offer a series of of suggestions, a menu. I was taught as a menu, call it a menu. Stephen Hoskinson expressed that we could call this a menu. I like that phrase. So it's a menu. The way that I kind of name this out, again, certainly borrowed a lot of this from Stephen Hoskinson, leaning on that you offer three to five suggestions of things that you imagine or you perceive or you could expect it to be pretty much as close to that as you can. If it's a feeling up in their chest, you would provide options, menued options of things that could happen, would likely to happen in a person's chest based on what was happening just before then. So it's three to five options, three to five likely options. And then this is the beauty of a menu is to preserve autonomy at the end of the offering or something else to say those words or something else. Peter has a very classic menu. You hear him say, does that increase? Does that decrease? Does that stay the same? Or does that change to something else? Three options, pretty much the limits of the options. Does it increase? Does it decrease? Does it stay the same? Or does it change to something else? And that return of autonomy helps to lean, as we often want to in our sessions, in our work, toward people's autonomy and empowerment. 
So you give three to five options that you think could be close, and then you return autonomy. This is a menued option, and it makes it easier for somebody who isn't able to answer the open question, makes it easier for them to get a handle on what it is that they're looking for, what it is that's worthy of their attention. You're helping to direct their attention by suggesting inside your menued options what it is they might be paying attention to. From there, you're still returning autonomy so that they could answer anything under the sun. That said, and while there are more nuances to name out in menued or even open questions, there are still times where you'll offer a menu and a person won't be able to choose. It's like myself as a child at the candy aisle, you know, the checkout line at the grocery store, how they made it into a candy aisle. And they made it full of all kinds of colorful candy and there were so many choices and I just went crazy. I couldn't choose. Sometimes with our clients, we give a menued option, three to five in choices. Oh, maybe it's like a tension or like a pulling or does it feel like a pressure somehow or something else? Oh, so is it is it vibrating or tingling or does it feel like ants crawling on your skin or something else? Oh, so does it feel like a like a bubbling kind of thing or like a like a effervescence kind of thing or like a floaty kind of thing or something else okay so we give these menu options and so some people say uh i don't know and then our menu isn't actually helping the person to succeed at answering our question it's just once again reinforcing their failure to answering our question which i don't know about you but I know I got a thing. I'm trying my very best not to have my clients fail based on the things that I ask of them. So there's a third question type, and it's we could call it constrained questions, you know, where there's one or other options. There's this or that, yes or no. Oh, is that more in your upper body or your lower body? Oh, is that more on the right side or more on the left side? Oh, is that exactly the same now or different in any way? Those constrained questions can make it so that you can help a person answer something that at the more broad, more slightly more autonomous menued options they might fail at in the same way that you might give a more menued, more structured option for somebody who was going to fail in the open question zone. In the ideal, perhaps, we're moving toward those more open questions where people are able to kind of be in the fullness of their attention and we're trying not to help people fail or we're trying not to have people fail based on our requests so if our questions need to become more directed in such a way that it makes them easier to answer thinking about those three different question types can help us to find the appropriate titration for each of our clients at each moment when a person can easily answer a series of constrained questions oh is it more on the surface or deeper inside oh and uh, more like on the right side or more on the left side when they can answer those questions you can move up to menus ah and so now it's more on the right side and it's deeper inside and as you feel that does that feel like a pulsing or like a vibrating or like like a heat or something else when person can be inside of the menued questions and consistently answering those we can move right over to the open questions of oh so you're just feeling yourself now and and what do you become aware of now i hope that helps somehow take good care
I do hope that helped somehow. I know it helped me, realizing that I couldn't just ask open-ended questions to my clients all the time, that I needed to change what I was doing in order to help my clients better, rather than just expect my clients to change so that I could do what I thought I needed to do better. Anyway, this is Anthony Twig Wheeler. This Twig's SE Reflections podcast series for SE practitioners and students. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing from you from some. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm. I'm saying goodbye. Bye bye.